You're listening to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Support for this project is provided by listeners like you. Visit my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, the podcast where we celebrate early women artisan photographers. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. In today's episode, we're going to meet the extraordinary early artisan photographer and early photographic entrepreneur, Mrs. Rosa Vreeland. For more information about any of the women discussed in today's episode, visit my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. To introduce you to the subject of today's podcast episode, Mrs. Rosa Vreeland, I want to read you a notice that appeared in 1896 describing her studio. The headline reads, Vreeland's Studio. It says, It is too often the case that the people of a city of the smaller size are compelled to patronize an inferior artist or go abroad for photographs. This is not the case in McPherson, where Mrs. Vreeland has established her art studio, where not only meritorious work is done, but where photographs are made that the best galleries in Kansas City would be pleased to mark with their trademark. Mrs. Vreeland understands posing, something that so many photographers are deficient in, and thus brings out all the best features without destroying the likeness. In retouching, she adheres strictly to the rule that prevents destruction of likeness for the sake of fine effect, and thus makes perfect work with perfect likeness. With children, Mrs. Vreeland is more than ordinarily successful, her child pictures being recognized as the best by all photographic artists. Well, it's a little over the top, but you get the sense that Mrs. Vreeland is really very good at what she does. And she truly is an example of an extraordinary early artisan photographer and early photographic entrepreneur. Now, last time I promised that we were going to leave Kansas But unlike Dorothy, we really are still in Kansas at the moment here with Mrs. Vreeland. We're going to be traveling a little bit with her, but mostly, I have to admit, the story of her and her career really still is in Kansas. While I was preparing for the next episode, I got to thinking that Mrs. Vreeland actually is a great example of something that I've been mentioning a bunch here on the podcast, and that's the notion of these multi-threaded narratives that run through the lives of all these early women photographers. In some places, like Blue Rapids and Lowell, Massachusetts, I found a wonderful group of different women who represent different parts of those threads. When you put them all together, you find them all. With Mrs. Reeland, though, what's really remarkable about her story is that all the different threads are all woven together just in her life and her career alone. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Now, the first thing to know about Mrs. Reeland was the longevity of her career. And she worked as a photographer running her own studios from 1881 till at least 1910, 1911. So that's at least 30 years, maybe longer. She didn't start being a photographer until she was already 29, at which point she was already a married woman and mother of two children. Her primary base of operations for her photography career was in McPherson, Kansas. 
I want to do a quick shout out of thank you to the librarians in McPherson, Kansas, for helping me understand that, as they put it, there's no fear in McPherson. So that's a great way to remember how to pronounce that town. In general, I don't really get lucky like that with somebody telling me how to pronounce the towns or the names of these old photographers. So if you ever do notice that I'm mispronouncing something, just drop me a line at podcast at p3photographers.net or go to my Facebook page and leave me a note because I'd love to hear from you so that I can correct it. Anyway, Mrs. Vreeland was operating as a photographer in McPherson, Kansas, starting in 1881. During the time she was in McPherson, she was also running studios in other places all over Kansas. Places like Selena and Hutchinson and Marion, among others, as well as having studios in places like Colorado Springs, Colorado, and ultimately in Alva, Oklahoma. That actually becomes her base after she sells the McPherson Gallery in 1900. Mrs. Reland even has a photo car at one point that goes all over Kansas and the surrounding area. In looking at all the different galleries that she ran, some of them simultaneously over this 30-year period, it's really incredible. It's like she has a little mini-photographic empire. Now, during her career, she is active not only running the studio, but only also participating in events like the Photographers Association conferences in Kansas. We see a lot of the women photographers in Kansas very active in this organization. And Mrs. Reland not only is going to the conferences, but one year she's actually elected as the second vice president of the organization. But her primary photographic occupation is, of course, running the studios. Part of her entrepreneurship is the ability to promote her brand by taking out ads in the newspapers. It's really incredible to me to look at the digitized newspapers from Kansas and discover that for Mrs. Reland alone, there are hundreds of hits for notices that are advertising her studios in all the different places that she operated in Kansas and beyond. She starts small. I mean, her very first notice that I found in 1881 just promises good work and prices low at Mrs. Vreeland's photograph gallery. But as I'll get to later on, she becomes more and more creative, really trying to explore how best to promote her brand, which is Mrs. Vreeland's photo gallery. Now, at one point, her brand changes slightly and becomes Mrs. Vreeland-Whitlock. That's because in 1890, She gets married to a man named Ogden Whitlock. Now, in the story of their marriage, it talks about how he was working in Colorado Springs at a newspaper there, and she was working at a studio that she was running there. I mean, she still had the place in McPherson, but she was also running the studio in Colorado Springs. They meet and they get married, and he quits his job and moves back to McPherson with her, She's got her photographic empire based really in Kansas, and after their marriage, she makes a deal to swap her Colorado Springs studio location for a studio in Hutchinson, Kansas, expanding her empire in Kansas and making it perhaps more manageable to deal with now that she's been remarried and no longer on her own there in McPherson. It's not that Mr. Whitlock, though, was a photographer. He never joins her in the photography business. Her first husband, Cornelius Freeland, the man to whom she was married when she first started doing photography there in McPherson, well, he's a farmer at the start of their marriage, but after she starts her gallery and presumably has some success, he quits his job as a farmer and joins her as a photographer. They take out ads together in the newspaper promoting Mr. and Mrs. Freeland photographers and their gallery in McPherson. In 1884, they also decide to open up a new branch in Salina, Kansas, running both of them simultaneously. 
It doesn't last too long in Selena, though, because by the end of 1884, Mrs. Vreeland takes out a notice that she's closing that gallery in Selena, and what she doesn't say, but probably everybody in town knows, is it's because the marriage has ended and Cornelius and Rosa Vreeland are no longer together. Cornelius, though, does keep at the photography business. So he actually moves to uh, Westmoreland or Oldsburg, Kansas, opens up studios there, runs them separately from Mrs. Vreeland, and eventually he remarries, but not to a photographer, and he moves eventually in 1894 to San Diego, moving away from Kansas altogether. 1894 is actually a pivotal year in Rosa's life as well. As I mentioned, in 1890, she'd married a man named Ogden Whitlock, and she had rebranded her gallery as Reland-Whitlock to reflect her new married name, but also her old brand that was associated with those good photos that she was taking. Unfortunately, in 1894, that marriage to Mr. Whitlock, that doesn't end well. Rosa sues Ogden for divorce on the grounds of abandonment and cruelty. When that marriage breaks up and she's ready to rebrand her studio yet again, her son George actually comes back to town. He had left in 1890 when his mother remarried. Maybe he didn't get along too well with Ogden Whitlock himself. But there's notices in the newspaper that he's actually off studying how to do photography with other photographers in Texas and later elsewhere. Son George in 1894 comes back to McPherson and is ready to join his mother in the photography business. So they take out a new ad. The studio is now called Mrs. Vreeland and Son. They're very prosperous for a few years working together in the studio there and elsewhere. They open up Studio Marion at one point. And at one point, they close the studio in McPherson. They say they're going on vacation. But in fact, what they're really doing is going over to a little town of Wyndham where they set up shop for just a couple of weeks. It's just a temporary little shop. It's what we would call today a pop-up shop that is there just to take photos before they go back to their main place, in, which is that point in McPherson. George is still there when Mrs. Vreeland operates that photo car that I mentioned, because that's circa 1900. So they're operating the places in Marion and in McPherson, and also in the photo car as well. George continues to work with his mother until she sells the studio in McPherson around 1900. At that point, she's actually met a new man, J.C. Heron, and they get married and move to Alva, Oklahoma. J.C. Heron is actually Dr. J.C. Heron. He's a dentist, not a photographer. But Rosa sets up a new studio in Alva, Oklahoma, and runs that for at least another 10 years. But along the way, both in Kansas and Colorado Springs and in Oklahoma, her story not only intersects working with some members of her family, specifically her first husband and her son, but also working with many other photographers, giving them a start in the business, including many other women photographers. There are women like the sisters Minnie Young and Stella Young, they're from McPherson, and they actually work for Mrs. Vreeland for a little while before actually buying the studio when she sells it in order to move to Oklahoma. The young sisters proudly proclaim that George, the son, is going to stay there in McPherson helping them out at the beginning, so they're going to be able to provide wonderful service just like the Vreeland studio has always done. Found it funny that in the first ad for the studio, it's billed as not the young sisters or the Mrs. Young, but Miss Minnie Young and sister. It's following the model of Mrs. Vreeland and son. Stella, the sister that's not named in that initial ad, 
She actually continues running that business after her sister Minnie gets married just a couple of years after they start running the studio. Another woman photographer that works for Mrs. Reland is a woman named Leora Seitz. Now, Leora Seitz wasn't always a photographer. Her career before she worked for Mrs. Reland was actually that of deputy sheriff for the county, which I find really intriguing that a woman was actually employed as a deputy sheriff. Well, once Leora becomes a photographer, she keeps at it for a few years. She leaves Kansas when Mrs. Freeland does, but she doesn't follow her to Alva. Rather, she goes to Kingfisher, Oklahoma, and works for two sisters who actually had also worked for Mrs. Freeland, sisters named White, who opened up their studio in Kingfisher around 1901. So that notion of women photographers training and working with other women photographers is something that we definitely find in Mrs. Reland's story. But I want to go back to the idea of her ads and the notices in the newspaper, because I, as I said, there are hundreds of them. I'm not going to read all of them, but I wanted to point out just a couple of things that make her ads a little more unique from some of the other women that I've been talking about. And Mrs. Reland has the standard thematic ads, the ones, come in, get your Easter pictures taken, come in, get pictures taken to send as Christmas presents. But she also has kind of a poetic bent to some of them. I mean, there are some that talk about time slipping away and you don't want to wait to get your picture taken. She has the motto, secure the shadows, air the substance fades. She has a notice that talks about photography and the importance of the photograph itself, let me just read you this one. It says, Of paramount importance is expression. The man or woman whose expression is natural and hence correct and gracious is eminently rich in the possession of dignity and excellence of character. Expression is key to character. Think of this, then have Mrs. Reland Whitlock take your picture. And it's a great ad because it's talking about something, the aesthetic quality of the photo, which you don't see a lot of these early women photographers able to emphasize in their ads. There's another one that I like when she's going off on vacation, and even that's a little bit unique. And there's this big, bold headline that just says, procrastination, and then in smaller type, is dangerous. In June, I expect to close my gallery for a vacation. So do not postpone having your pictures taken until too late. Most of the photographers are just going to post a thing that says, I'm going to be closed from June 1st to June 30th. Come get your photos taken before then or come see me afterwards. But not Mrs. Reland. She has a little bit more interesting take on that kind of notice. There are also some other notices when she's operating as Mrs. Reland Whitlock, which are in the early 1890s. And I haven't seen this before, but it's taking a current event and then writing a little notice that grabs your attention with the current event and then talks about getting your photo taken. Let me just read you one of them. It says, Chicago and Alton Railroad Company suggests that the national government take control of the railroads of the country. The government will do so ere long and run the railroads at cost for public accommodation. During the transition period, Mrs. Reland Whitlock will keep right on making fine cabinets, etc. Copies of old pictures, the latter at reduced rates for a short time. New and lasting process. See her at the art gallery, corner, Ash and Elizabeth Streets. So the idea of something that's on the public mind being tied into getting your picture taken at Mrs. Reland, really there's no connection between the two, but she's got 
an interesting marketing hook to get people to notice her ad and then keep reading to find out that she's discounting things and doing all these wonderful things like cabinet cards and copies of old pictures. Actually, she has a really interesting ad at one point for making copies of old pictures. And this was something that I haven't really mentioned as something that these photographers did, but the idea of taking a picture into a gallery and having the photographer make a copy of that picture, that was actually quite popular in the late 19th century because you would have old tintypes that would have been taken, and that was a kind of photo that couldn't easily be reproduced on its own. There was no negative. So you would take it in and have it photographed, and then a new photograph would be made from this old photograph. Mrs. Reland is really emphasizing that that's part of her business, and she has a really intriguing ad that's very creative and, again, eye-catching to talk about doing something like that. The headline in this little boxed ad is called Mother's Picture, and there's a little poem. I bring you the picture of Mother Dear taking so long ago. It is scratched and faded, as you see, but it is all I have, you know. Take out the wrinkles in the dress and add a collar, please. Leave the dear hands as they are. They look so much at ease. The expression I would not have changed, nor the hair so streaked with gray, but make the eyes as good as you can, for they were bright as day. That's kind of sweet. It not only emphasizes the idea of getting a copy made of an old picture of your mother, but also the fact that Mrs. Reland is sort of subtly implying that she can actually do this kind of retouching that was popular then. I mean, we don't think about the fact that photographers in the 19th century were doing retouching. They were adding color, little bits of color, or they were trying to clean it up, remove the dust and scratches, smooth out the hairstyles, smooth out the dresses. Anything that you wanted, they could try to do. And so this little poem talks about that in a very creative way. There's another uh, interesting ad that she takes out that reminds me of the ones that are later on in, during World War I when the photographers are emphasizing, come get your picture taken so that you can send it to the boys overseas. Mrs. Reland, though, takes out an ad in the 1890s that emphasizes the same concept of sending your picture to somebody, but with a slightly different twist. Let me read you this one. It reads, A young lady in London who was crowded by engagements could not attend the wedding of a dear friend. She had her own photograph taken and sent it together with her good wishes to the bride on the eventful day. This is a matrimonial invention that is worth something, and Mrs. Reland Whitlock rejoices and is exceedingly glad that she has lived to see this day. Let all the photographists rejoice, for the fashion set by the London lady will be followed numerously and the picture-taker's business will be good from this time forth. Well, okay, it's a little over the top, and that new idea of getting your picture taken to send to somebody whose wedding you can't go to, well, that is a different twist on who you might want to send a copy of a picture of yourself to. Um, But I just like how this is just another creative way of advertising Mrs. Reland Whitlock's services. The other fun thing about that is that it uses the term photographist, which is an alternative to photographer. And I gather from reading all these old newspapers and things that at the beginning, they were not quite sure which word they were going to use, whether it was going to be photographer or photographist. So you see both of them uh, on and off until photographer clearly wins out after a certain point. Now, another thing in Mrs. Vreeland's notices, which emphasizes her skill as a photographer, is that she 
is constantly advertising that she's keeping up to date and offering the latest in technology. So the dry plate work can be done at Mrs. Reeland's. That's the new style of photography done after the wet plate photography that I talked about back with Elizabeth Withington. That was much more cumbersome for the photographers to use, but it also gave different results. So people knew that there was a difference and they would look for a photography gallery, which could do all the latest and greatest things. I love one little ad where she's advertising that you should come in and bring your baby because I've got that patent baby holder and you could try it out. She also is using some sort of fancy paper called Aristo paper at one point. Again, when she's in that Mrs. Vreeland Woodlock period, and she has these really creatively laid out ads that almost remind me of the kind of computer printer art when people would print out multiple uh, words like over and over. Anyway, I'll put the ad up. It's her name written over and over with interlocking words that talk about how she does artistic photography with this Aristo paper. It's very creative, very eye-catching. Now, she opened her original studio in Kansas, of course, in 1881, and then in 1901, she moves to Oklahoma, and she opens up a new studio in Alva, Oklahoma. It's the Reland Studio. Again, her brand was the Reland Studio, even though she is now personally Mrs. J.C. Heron, her final married name. But the Reland Studio is in operation in Alva, Oklahoma, long after 1910. I'm pretty certain that she's still running that studio as late as 1911, but I'm not sure when exactly she sells out and retires. After she stops running the studio in Alva, she retires and lives with her husband until his death in 1918. After she's widowed, she seems to move in with her daughter, Lila, in Texas. There's no evidence that Rosa is ever a photographer, though, in Texas when she moves in with Lila. And there's no evidence that Lila was ever herself a photographer, even though her brother went into the business. The most I've ever found about Lila having anything to do with the Reeland studio is walking around one day wearing a photo advertising dress, which was a dress where they pinned photos to the dress. And then the woman walked around with a banner with the name of the studio that had produced all the photos that she was wearing. Anyway, that's the only connection I find with Lila directly with the Reland Studio operations in McPherson or anywhere. In 1924, Rosa gets sick and she actually moves to California to live with her son, George. Now, George had actually opened up his own studio in Enid, Oklahoma, after his mother opened up her studio in Alva, Oklahoma. Those studios were separate. And at some point, George closes his studio in Oklahoma and moves to San Diego, I'm not sure if it's a coincidence that that's where his father, Cornelius Reland, had moved or not, but George opens up a studio in San Diego that ultimately is there for over 60 years, run first by him and for part of the time along with his father, but also later with his son, George Jr. When Rosa is sick, she moves to San Diego to live with George, and then on October 29, 1925, Rosa E. Burgess Reland Whitlock Heron dies at the age of 73. It brings to a close the life of this extraordinary, prolific, and truly remarkable early woman photographer and photographic entrepreneur. Just a couple of final things about George. As I said, he is living in San Diego, and his father was living there as well, and his father does come and work with him for a time. Cornelius dies in 1935, 10 years after Rosa, and when Cornelius is buried, George actually has him buried in the same grave, it's seemingly in the same plot, with Rosa Vreeland Whitlock Heron. In other words, George reunites his parents after they're gone. 
It seems kind of sweet. It's a little bit odd in that Cornelius had remarried and his wife died in 1917, and she's actually buried in that same place. I like to think that they all had a very amicable relationship toward the end of their lives. One can only hope that George knew what he was doing when he buried them all together. The other thing I want to mention about George is that way back when he went off to study photography, seemingly when his mother got married to that man, Whitlock, he's off studying photography all over the place. And at one point, when he comes back and joins his mother, they make a big deal out of a notice in the paper that talks about how he has gotten all of his artistic ability from studying photography with a studio called the Chase Studio in Denver, a studio that they said has a national reputation of artistry. And what's curious to me to run across that is actually it provides a crossover point with another woman photographer that I've been exploring. Now, it's rare for me to find these crossovers that intersect the two stories when the two women didn't actually work together or the, you know, they didn't marry the same man or they weren't otherwise related. But in this case, the Chase Studio of Denver in the period where George Reland, Rose's son, would have gone to study... Well, in that period, it was being run by a husband and wife, a man named D.B. Chase and a woman named Belle B. Chase. And Belle B. Chase is going to be the subject of the next episode, because although she didn't have quite the empire and the number of outlets that Mrs. Reland had, she still had quite a long and interesting career. Now, I'll warn you, her career does start in Kansas, but it will quickly take us all over the place, around the country and around the world. But that'll be next time here on the podcast. Before I end today, I want to say a few thank yous to people who have helped. First of all, Jenny and the other librarians at the McPherson Public Library, I want to thank them not only for that mnemonic about how to pronounce the town's name, but also for all their help digging out little articles and bits of material that they found in the databases and archives there at the McPherson Public Library. I also want to thank Sheila, who's from the Old Mill Museum in Lindsborg, Kansas. Now, Mrs. Reland never actually was in Lindsborg, but it turned out that in the Old Mill Museum, there were some lovely examples of photos by Mrs. Reland from different points in her career, including one by Mr. and Mrs. Reland. As always, I'm going to be sharing photos as well as those newspaper articles and some of the ads that I read today on the podcast. As usual, that will all be available on my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. Also, don't forget you can drop me a line at podcast at p3photographers.net and follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash p3photographers. Mrs. Rosa Reland is really one of the most impressive businesswomen I've encountered so far, given that she was able to reinvent herself and rebranded herself but still keep a successful business going for 30 years. I'm hoping to have some time at some point to figure out just how many galleries she was juggling there in Kansas and all those little towns. I haven't figured that out yet, but I'll let you know if I do. Next time, we're off on the hunt for the marvelous Belby Jace. We'll start in Kansas, but we really will be leaving Kansas next time. I hope you'll join me. Now, thanks for stopping by. Until next time, I'm Lee, and this is Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. <laughs>